The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. We talked about virtue, and today we're going to talk about patience, which is a virtue. <laughs> in the Theravada list of paramis, um, <clears throat> Patience is listed as number six, patient forbearance. But in uh, Lama Surya Das's book, Buddha is as Buddha does, he lists it as third following virtue. Uh, and it seemed to me that it was a nice follow-on to virtue. In fact, patience is considered the highest virtue or the highest parami, perfection. It permeates all of the other perfections and makes them all possible, makes it possible to practice all of the other paramis. The word in Pali for patience is kanti, K-H-A-N-T-I which is very close to the word for peace, kashanti. And it is, of course, a way of being peaceful, of practicing peace. It's also known as forbearance or endurance or sometimes tolerance. I think it's more than tolerance, but... So I had a chance to practice patience on the way up. <laughs> Traffic was horrendous, <laughs> especially in the South Bay. I come from San Jose. Once I got a little bit further north, it loosened up. But oh my goodness, it was much worse than last week. So I got to practice patience. What are you going to do when you're stuck in traffic? There's not a thing that I could do except breathe and remind myself that it would be okay. Whatever, whenever I got here, you know, I knew Randy was here to open and all of you could come in and sit and I would get here when I got here. So I was three or four minutes late. I don't like being late, but that's, that's how it was. So patience is an acceptance, an acceptance of things as they are. And when I say that, I want to clarify that when we say acceptance, it does not mean condoning. So we can accept that things are the way they are and act to change them. As Ram Dass says, the world is perfect, including our efforts to change it. Um, so this lovely printout, I think it's from Access to Insight, defines patient endurance just as the great earth bears even the most disgusting things, so perfect patience consists in accepting slander and every dishonor 
without resistance, enduring and letting them pass. Sounds very much like equanimity, doesn't it? The same writing for equanimity says, just as the great earth remains unmoved, whether one throws pure or impure things onto it, so perfect equanimity consists in staying either in mighty either in mighty confrontations or in the greatest fortunes without repulsion or attraction, but always evenly tranquil. So very similar patience and equanimity. For me, patience feels a little more active. Um, That may be just me, but... I want to say clearly that patience is not passive. Sometimes people confuse that and think that if we're accepting and very patient, that means we're passive, we don't do anything. Buddhism is known as a peaceful religion, and very often people get the idea that that means we're very passive. But that's not true. Actually, practicing patience can take a lot of courage, a lot of strength. It is, in a way, very active. Probably, if you think about it, you realize that times when you need to practice patience, it's not just, oh, well, is it? It takes determination. It takes intention, and it sometimes takes great effort (laughs) to remain patient when all around us is swirling or doing whatever, especially in this area, right? We live in an area that is busy, 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 go, 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 multitask, Um, I I saw a cartoon once that said, patience is not a virtue, it's a waste of time. (laughs) And I thought thought it was very funny, but of course it's, (laughs) it's not how we see patience. It's hardly a waste of time. Uh, But it can take effort. It is, again, like swimming upstream. We are going against the grain of the culture. And that's not easy. Interesting, isn't it, that patience, which we think of as being calm and even, takes great energy, great effort. Not always, but very often it does. So I couldn't help but think talking about patience and about activity of maybe you read or heard of over the, actually I guess it was last Wednesday, three mosques, one in San Jose and two in Southern California, received very strong hateful letters from a group, Americans for a Better Way, I think it's called suggesting that they were going to do to Muslims 
what Hitler did to the Jews. Now that's pretty strong threat. And it seems to me that in the face of that, we must not remain inactive. <laughs> it is up to all of us to speak out against that kind of thing. We can do it in a patient way. We can do it in a calm way. We can come from a place of loving kindness and acceptance. But it seems to me that, that we must, we must speak out, all of us. So I got something yesterday from PACT, which is People Acting in Community Together. It's a group of faith people and um, asking um, those of us that are clergy or faith leaders to sign in solidarity with Muslims in our community, which, of course, I did. And there's the suggestion that if a registry of Muslims comes to be, that, that we sign it so that you know, there can't be a separate list of Muslims because all of us, I mean, Burgett Jelaine hardly sounds like a Muslim name, right? <laughs> um, so there are things that happen that we must respond to. And I don't think the Buddha would suggest that we not. <laughs> I think, in fact, that he would suggest that we do speak out. But what's important is where we come from, how we do whatever we choose to do in response to the world. Thich Nhat Hanh talks about patience as inclusiveness and suggests that we must have or develop a heart that's large enough to hold all of the suffering. That's quite a task. There is enormous suffering in our world, isn't there? A heart as big as the ocean so that we can hold the suffering and not lose our center or our calmness. In many ways, patience is a selfless action, an egoless action. Sometimes we get so stuck in this I, don't we? This person that we think is so separate and so important. And it can be very helpful to let go of that and practice patience as patience, not as forget being patient or somebody else being patient, but just patience without the ego, without the I. When we come from that place, there's less attachment and there's less stickiness. It's, it's freer. It's more open, 
And oftentimes it's easier to do. So Lama Suryadas titles his chapter The Transformative Practice of Patient Forbearance. It's a transformative practice to practice patience. May I perfect the noble virtue of patience, which can face naked reality, forgive, accept adversity, and turn it into an ally. So I also refer you to the chapter on patience in Gill's book. And there are said to be three different kinds of patience. Of course, they're intertwined and they all go together, but it might be helpful to look at them separately. The first is the patience of perseverance or gentle endurance, gentle forbearance, where we accept the difficulties, sometimes we say the vicissitudes of life, and remain calm. We're not swayed, we're not tossed about by by what happens in the external world. We can allow it to be. If it needs action, of course we take action. But we don't have to rail against uh, what's happening. And so often we think that we need to be comfortable. And so if things aren't comfortable, then we need to do something. We need to act. So we're constantly reacting, whether it's temperature or um, something we have or don't have or whatever. We're constantly reacting to try to make things comfortable. And of course, they never are, or they are for a few minutes and then it changes and they're no longer comfortable. There's a saying that we can learn to accept or adapt or bear anything. That's interesting, isn't it? We can learn to accept or bear anything. Often we think we can't. Sometimes when it's so cold at night, I think, I can't bear this this cold. Well, of course I can. What I really mean is I don't care for it. It's not my preference. It's not what I would like. But of course I can bear it. Of course we can bear a lot of things that we think we can't. And unfortunately, thinking that we can't or telling ourselves that we can't makes it more difficult. We're resisting and that makes it more difficult. But what if we adopted this idea? that we can bear it. We can bear, human beings can bear a lot. 
and recognizing that. Recognizing we don't always have to have everything just perfect or just nice. We can bear a lot of discomfort, a lot of difficulty, a lot of things not being the way we would like them. So then the second kind of patience is patience under insult or endurance of hardship. Often I think we think we shouldn't accept insult, should we? We should not allow somebody to insult us. But so what? So what if somebody insults us? Do we have to react? Do we have to get upset about it? Do we have to lose our peace, our equanimity? As the Buddhist suggested, we can let it stay over there. <laughs> we can let it stay with whoever said it. We don't have to take it on. Just like the story perhaps you've heard of um, the Buddha saying that if somebody were to offer you food and you didn't accept it, where would it go or who would it belong to? The person offering it. So too, he said, if somebody offers you an insult, let it stay with them. You don't have to take it on. What a concept. <laughs> now, I, it occurs to me there's a distinction between um, just not accepting somebody's insult and the kind of uh, um, rhetoric that sometimes goes on in our culture about different groups of people, very, very insulting, and that I think we should not tolerate. But if somebody's insulting us for some silly reason, let it go, let it <laughs> wash off. There's another uh, story uh, from the Buddha when he and his followers were staying in a town called Kosambi. And <clears throat> for some reason, people there were spreading lies about the community, were insulting them, were... Um, making it difficult for the monks to get enough food as the monks went out on their alms rounds. They were not getting, not receiving enough food because there was all this animosity towards them. And so <clears throat> finally, Ananda, the Buddha's chief uh, attendant, went to him and said, Sir, I think we need to move on. It's too difficult here. And the Buddha said, so if we move on to another town and the same thing happens, then what? 
And Ananda said, well, then we move on from there. And the Buddha said, no, Ananda, no. That could go on forever. We will stay right here and bear the insults. And when the behavior has changed, then we will move on. That's patient endurance, huh? (laughs) Yeah. Not constantly running from what's unpleasant, from what we don't like, or from what's happening, but staying, patiently bearing it, and then moving on when it has changed. Then the third type of patience is that of acceptance of truth. It's often said naked truth or things just as they are. You hear that over and over and over again because our tendency as humans is to color what we see or what we experience with our own interpretations. And so something happens, an event, and there can be as many different interpretations as there are people that experience that event. Because we're all projecting our own idea onto what happened. Seeing things clearly, seeing things just as they are, is mindfulness and takes practice to see just and to describe just exactly what happened without any embellishment, without any interpretation, just as it is. We so rarely do that. Seeing and accepting things just as they are means looking deeply or looking clearly. Seeing what is right in front of us just as it is. So as I said, patience is a way of acting at all times. It's a way of being. It's not something that, that we practice Tuesday morning or any other time. But it is a way of being all the time. It's said that there's no religious practice that's as powerful and arduous as patience. It's the greatest, most supreme parami or paramita. And it's considered an antidote to anger. So when we're feeling anger, we can practice patience. That's often, again, a big challenge. 
But rather than reacting, which we so often do when we're angry, we can stop and be patient. See the situation clearly. And then perhaps do what needs to be done. So let me stop just for a moment and see if there are thoughts, questions, comments. You um, mentioned that um, in being patient, we are not reactive but we're also not passive. So I assume the middle way here is, is uh, something like responsive. Right. Can you say more about responsive from the point of view of teaching or learning patience? <laughs> yes. As you know, in Buddhist practice, we often draw a distinction between reactivity and responsiveness. Reactivity is that, that impulsive reaction to whatever is happening that often turns out to be unskillful. Um, and it often is associated with anger. When we're angry, anger can be such a powerful emotion. And so often we feel the anger and then we act impulsively without thinking, without considering. With patience and responsiveness, we learn, it takes practice, but we learn (laughs) to control that reactivity and not allow it. At, At first, it may come anyway, or the urge to do it may come anyway. So I can't help but think of my dog. It's a great place to practice patience. And by and large, I am so patient with her. But I have learned that I overdo it sometimes. What I mean by that is that I go beyond what's good for me. Or my, sometimes my time limit, like this morning, you know, I'm walking her. And she loves to, she's 14, and she loves to just wander and dally, you know. And often I let her. But then there comes a point where I lose my patience. (laughs) And And then I can, you know, be harsh. And I, I work with that to control it. It's not her fault. You know, she's being a dog. <laughs> so I have learned a little bit. So this morning when 8.30, you know, that was my limit, 8.30, and she wanted to wander off, and I said, no, we are going home. I have to leave. And we went home. For me, that's a way of practicing patience. It may not directly seem like it, but it is a way for me not to get angry not to react, but to calmly say, I'm sorry, there's not time right now, we'll walk later, we need to go home. 
<laughs> Does that... <laughs> I thought you were going to talk about being on the freeway this morning. Uh, <laughs> well, that's true. Because that's a place where I have a great deal of difficulty pa practicing patience. Um, I can, I'm learning that I can stop myself sometimes from reacting angrily. But, I, but it, it, perhaps because you can't actually communicate with the person who just cut you off or whatever... It's more difficult to be responsive, I find, in that circumstance, or to respond. The one way I found, which sometimes helps, is to say, well, the event to myself, the event's over already, yeah. <laughs> and I'm safe. I, I was going to say, I think, particularly on the freeway, so much of our reaction is fear. I know it is for me when somebody cuts me off like that. Um, and so that practice of wishing them well, may you arrive safely, and I usually add, and not involve anybody else. <laughs> um, I find that helpful. Because you're right, there's nothing we can do at that point. And anything we do, a reactivity on our part, is it just fuels our anger. Um, but if we actually wish them a safe journey, um, that can be helpful. <laughs> or I often just take my foot off the gas pedal, you know, and slow down. Go ahead. Go by me, please. <laughs> yeah. Um, the radio and it's Christmas and I love Christmas music so it's not a problem but I certainly um, am trying to practice as much patience as possible especially the last couple weeks because um, you know how do I practice patience in, in, the, in the face of injustice fear mm -hmm. heart, uh, broken heartedness mm -hmm. anxiety mm -hmm. and uh, at, at least what I have witnessed and heard over the last 16 months and when I decide to turn on NPR or other newscasts and what I hear, you know, what I, I am, it's, I, I'm certainly trying to listen to it mindfully, mm -hmm. but, you know, I am uh, reacting with uh, hopelessness, fear, and anxiety. So, um, you know, I <laughs> want to know how to react, how to be patient, which certainly takes mindfulness, mm -hmm. and with it, um, uh, be proactive without this incredible fear and anxiety. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, you know, this is a balancing act that I'm not doing well. I, <laughs> I wish, I wish. You have a lot of company. <laughs> right. So how do I stand right. back and observe right. this um, as loving and kindly, kindly as I can without this incredible fear? Right, right. It is what we're all working with, I think. And it's an incredibly challenging time. Um, first of all, I think recognizing the fear, just acknowledging it, the anger, the anxiety, the whatever else the reaction is, <clears throat> um, allowing it. And maybe, first of all, practicing patience with ourselves. You know, it's okay to feel that. 
we're not wrong. We're not unmindful or un-Buddhist <laughs> to feel that. So just allowing it to be. I think there is reason to at least be concerned. Then I think it is important that we do what we can do, however small. For some, it might be very, very small. For others, it might be much larger. But that we do whatever in our world we can do. So that might mean talking to friends, talking to other groups of people. Um, it might be writing a letter to the editor or writing letters to our Congress people or, you know, any number of things. I have a friend that wrote me the other day and said, how, how can I support Muslims? She knows I'm involved in interfaith work. And um, I don't know if any of you were here the day that the imam came on a Sunday morning and spoke. He was so clear. This was back in April, I think it was. And, of course, that question came up. And he said, smile. Smile at them. You were here? Yeah. Say hello. Treat them like everybody else. And he said, you wouldn't believe how many texts I get (laughs) just saying Somebody smiled at me today. (laughs) Somebody. (laughs) It's a way of countering the, the other rhetoric that is so prevalent. And it also suggests that even something so small, seemingly small, as a smile can make a big difference. It is a way of acknowledging somebody. It's like I try to do with the homeless. Even if I don't give anything, I say hello. I acknowledge them. I heard a talk by Jack Cornfield many years ago um, suggesting that, that what the homeless, the homeless feel invisible and what they really want is to be acknowledged. And so I try to make it a point Um, whether I pass them on the sidewalk or, you know, at the freeway entrance, to acknowledge them and say hello. They are somebody. (laughs) They are people. Um, I think it is really important, and I've heard so many people say, that they are no longer going to just sit back and let things happen. (laughs) that they are going to be active. And again, that can be in very small ways or much larger ways. But I think we cannot afford to just cruise, you know, to just say, oh, well, that's politicians, or oh, well, that's whatever. That we do need to be vigilant. I've used that word a lot lately, (laughs) that we be very vigilant about what's happening, and speak out. And I think this is where Buddhist practice is so supportive. Let go of the result, not be attached to the result. Because we can't control the result. We can only control what we do.
and also from a Buddhist perspective, every single step we take, everything we do, is important. And it's not a situation where the end justifies the means. Every mean has to be with integrity. So we don't do something, you know, a little white lie or a little cheat or whatever because of the greater end. Every step is done with integrity and honesty. And then the outcome is out of our control. There's another saying that, that I have found very supportive, and that is that it's never enough. When I first heard that, that was such a relief. You know, no matter what we do, it's never enough. So if you start from that present, from that, um, from that acceptance, it's never enough. Then whatever we do is helpful. And I find that very helpful that I can do, and sometimes I do more, sometimes less. But that, that we do something. I don't know, does that help? <laughs> It also reminds me of the story by Sharon Salzberg. When she was, uh, Sharon Salzberg is the one that, that wrote the definitive book on uh, metta, or loving kindness, or the Brahma Viharas, all four. And she tells the story when she was in India of being accosted by a man. And she was able to run away. And when she went to see her teacher, Manindra, later, She was telling him about it, and Manindra said to her, Sharon, with all the loving kindness you can muster, you should have hit him over the head with your umbrella. (laughs) And I love that story because, you know, that says it. We don't just sit back and do nothing or sit back and mm, let somebody accost us or let somebody... No. No. But we don't come from a place of hate either or a place of ill will. So with all of our loving kindness, we stop (laughs) whatever is happening. Somebody asked me last night, we were talking about this in my Morgan Hill group, and somebody asked about women that are being abused. You know, do they just accept that's what's happening? I said, no. (laughs) No, of course not. Of course you don't just accept it. The Buddha didn't say that we needed to be patsies or... (laughs) um, But we come from a place of caring about ourselves and about the other person as well. The person who, like Thich Nhat Hanh says, whose heart is not yet open... (laughs) I've been talking to a lot of friends about the exact same topic and thinking about it a lot. And one of the things I just thought or had thought about was um, the Birmingham bus boycott. 
I'm sure it just started off as a small thing. Oh, we're just going to do this. But I think it took like maybe two to three years. And the African-Americans in the community were greatly inconvenienced. But of course, until it affected the pocketbooks of the bus companies, that's what earned them the right to sit in the front of the bus. And if they hadn't done that, it would have never happened. And that just started off as a small thing with Rosa Parks. And who knew that it would um, create such a big thing? So I think I completely agree that if all of us can just do these little things, the little ripples can make really, uh, can be very impactful. Right. So if you think of that yeah. as an analogy, yeah. you know, it was just a couple, you know, oh, this woman, she wouldn't sit in the back. And then mm -hmm. everybody um, did it. And then it gathered steam. But it took several years. But look at what a huge change it made. Right. Right. So. That's, that's a good story of patience, too, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. It took yeah. patient endurance yeah. to... Yeah. sit-ins, you know, they would have never changed, but it affected the country. Yeah, and it's a good reminder that we never know. We never know. The smallest act can have those ripples and change the world. In fact, Margaret Mead suggests that's the only thing that ever has. Small. That's all we can do. That's right. That's all we can do. That's right. So in reference to what you said about Birmingham, I was going to say, you know, there is... The, the, there are going to be these marches on Inauguration Day. Um, I'm actually living in Oregon, but down here now. So there is one in Portland, but there is one in Sacramento on um, Inauguration Day at 10 o'clock. Um, if you're interested, I'm going to look into it. But um, like you were saying, I really have a hard time listening to the news. And so my husband, you know, a week ago just said, you know, you need a break, you know. Don't even turn it on, don't even listen. So I, I really can't, honestly, because it's pretty, it's always disturbing. So um, I have cut back a lot on, you know, Facebook stuff and news on the, it, and it has made a difference. But I promised myself at that time that I was going to, every day, every person I met out in the street, I was going to acknowledge them as well, as best as I could in a positive way. And it was so funny because as soon as I said that to myself, <clears throat> I was walking in, sorry, <clears throat> San Carlos up and down the hill, and I'm walking back, and there was a woman coming toward me in a, I guess it's a hijab. I don't know mm -hmm. if that's the correct name. Mm -hmm. So I kind of was chuckling to myself in my head, and um, I used to work in a public school, and some little Arabic kids taught me how to say hello. So... Um, I said, hello, but the woman said to me, she said, so are you Turkish? And I go, well, no. <laughs> so I don't know why that even came up, you know. And then we just kept talking. And so I guess uh, it was really just nice. And as she was getting ready to go, I asked her, so how do you say uh, have a good day? And she told me. So I posted that up in my bathroom where I can, I'm really good with learning language if I get mm. the visual of the, Pronunciation, so I learned that, and then, you know, it was probably her family. I saw just like Thanksgiving Day, I'm walking up the hill, and there were some people that seemed like Arabic, so I said, you know, have a good day to them, and, you know, they were taken by surprise. You never know how the positive ripple can work, you know? Mm -hmm. It just, it's certainly worth it, you know? What do you have to lose? And, Boy, this compassion or just thinking of other people and taking yourself out of yourself, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, certainly not a big thing to do, but whatever. What else can I do, you know? I mean, it is the little bit. So, just the thought. 
Yes, and I think you inferred that it makes you feel good. Well, yeah. As well as because whoever you're. Ina- I'm, I wasn't inactive, you know, and there are little mm-hmm. things we can do, and it makes us. Mm-hmm. If you feel, you know, complacency certainly isn't the answer, um, and yeah, reaching out probably will help us all somehow mm-hmm. in a beneficial way. And it's so easy to feel helpless. What can right. I do, right. or what difference will it make if I do right. such and such? And the difference between the reactivity and the responsiveness, as you were talking, I realize for me it's evaluating it for myself first. Mm. You know, okay, boy, you know, you're going to go off the deep end here. And so if I can just for two seconds look at myself and say, why is that happening? Where is it coming from? Mm. Then I can kind of modify my behavior sometimes. Certainly not always, but anyway. There's uh, a wonderful piece from the Tao Te Ching that I have always liked. Do you have the patience to wait until your mud settles and the water is clear? Can you remain unmoving until the right action arises by itself? Isn't that lovely? Can we remain still? And don't you find that so often? I find if I set an intention, I want to do something, just like you did, and life presented it, right away there was somebody. If I wait until the mud settles, then what to do usually shows itself, becomes apparent. Yeah. I think perhaps because I'm so heartbroken um, I'm reaching out more to my fellow beings and hmm. I, I worked last night and uh, every once in a while you know the managers will read something <clears throat> that someone has said has written and she says I need to um, you know I need to uh, I want to read this and so she read what this patient had written about me and, and um, thanking me for my skill which is my work and she said, but mainly because um, she treated me like a human being. Uh-huh. Yes. So I'm much more, t- much more hypervigilant when it comes to treating everybody like a human being. Beautiful. Isn't that what we all want? Yes. So there's another idea that I think sort of fits with this, and and that is that our enemy or our difficulty can be our greatest teacher. Can we learn to see, (laughs) at least consider, if we can't accept it right away, at least consider that the most challenging thing in our life can also be our greatest teacher. There's a Gurdjieff story, maybe you've heard, um, <clears throat> where there was a very unpleasant man living in the community. And a group of people decided that he had to leave. He was just too disruptive, and so they sent him away. And when they told Gurdjieff, he said, you must go into town and get that man and bring him back. He said, every community needs a difficult person. (laughs) 
Probably we can, uh, I mean, I have what I would consider a difficult neighbor. <laughs> so I do metta, and I practice patience, and I mean, it's really okay. But um, I like to remember that, that the, the most challenging situations in our lives can actually be our greatest teachers. We usually want to get rid of them. You know, we want, we want everything smooth. We want things to go well. But often it's from the difficulties that we learn. Whether it's patience or something else we learn. Um, and if we learn to see things as at least having the possibility of being our teacher, then we see them in such a different way, then we can respond and not react. Okay, so the time is flying by. Um, one author says, the gift of patience is truly the gift of yourself. Similar to what you're saying. That being patient with others is a gift of ourselves. It is giving of who we are. And I said, but it's so important that remember that we remember that giving ourselves patience and kindness and compassion is so important. If we don't give it to ourselves, we really can't give it to others. It's not authentic. And as we, as we practice, as we work with all the issues we have, so important that we be kind and patient with ourselves. Nothing changes overnight. Not us, <laughs> not situations. And we don't want to put more more harm, I was going to say, more aggression, more anger out into the world. And so it starts here, just like when we do loving kindness, we almost always start with ourselves. So the patience, the compassion starts here. And when we give it to ourselves, we feel so much better, then we're able to be more patient with others. So I'll just end with this. Give yourself a moment of peace and you will understand how foolishly you have scurried about. Learn to be silent and you will notice that you have talked too much. Be kind and you will realize that your judgment of others was too severe. Hasten slowly, and you will soon arrive. Any last comment or question? Okay, I wish you well in your practice of patience. <laughs>